Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. I've been working a lot on how to read and retain information a lot more because I find that I've been sometimes reading a ton of like one of the books that I'm reading right now that I'm getting way into is uh, difficult, you know, like how to have difficult conversations. And I forgot the title, but um, what I've been realizing is there's so much meat and detail in there that I read it and then I keep reading it and I feel like I don't retain a lot of it. So I've been kind of trying to figure out what to do. And the thing that's worked for me the best is to read I don't know, like a paragraph or two or three or a chapter and then try to summarize it and just write it down somewhere. And it's not like I'm taking notes and filing them away and putting them to like some whole system. It's really just trying to remember, like remember what I read and then kind of place it into the context of my daily life, what I'm doing. And that has been the best for retaining information because I've always been kind of a bad reader. I think like studying wasn't my strong suit. Uh, and so I think that I'm trying to find a better way to retain this information because a lot of it just goes in and out of one year. So like important information, how to, and I found that if I relay it to what's happening in my day or, you know, my past learning that helps the best. So that's just been something on my mind because I don't, you know, I think the days are getting shorter. <laughs> There's more to do. And so I want to be very mindful of what, you know, consuming information and then retaining it instead of just happenstance. I think that's been a very big thing for, for me because I love reading and I've got into it in the morning and then at night, but I don't have, you know, an hour and a half to read. So, yeah, I mean, I was always a more of a math and science student than I was reader, uh, a reader. Um, but uh, retention is key. I always kind of whenever people talk about reading comprehension, I always think about speed reading. Because um, speed reading is one of those skills. And uh, I, I believe you'll remember the family that had, they had their children engage in a speed reading course in elementary school. Do you recall who I'm talking about? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I you know, neither here nor there, if it really helps in the longevity of things. But um, seems to me, you know, whenever I speed read, I my comprehension goes way down. Oh, yeah, way down. And if I read at like a comfortable pace, like, obviously, I'm going to retain more. And so um, anytime people talk about, you know, reading comprehension or whatever, I always kind of think about that speed reading thing, because that was never something that was taught to me extremely well. Like I tried to do it on my own, just as far as like just ripping through a a novel for the sake of, you know, reading fast. Right. Um, But I don't, I don't really enjoy that. I don't really enjoy pushing my reading. uh, Even if it is, you know, if it's a boring book, sure. uh, Perhaps I'll like skip around or whatever. I'll, I'll, you know, read more quickly than I would perhaps if I really want to soak it up. But, um, Speed reading as a skill is something that I, you know, uh, like I've heard of different methodologies, but have not uh, invested the time or energy to like have a proper teaching such that, you know, I'd be able to really have a similar level of reading comprehension if I'm, you know, ripping through uh, a a page of a book. 
Yeah, I I have tried the speed reading, and oftentimes I'm doing what I did in elementary school, which is just trying to read the word, you know, when you're not actually processing it. So it's it's not going deep into your brain, and this is obviously not scientific. It's just me pontificating, but I don't think it gets detailed in there. And from what what I've been thinking about is, like, how do you encode that into your brain? And you may need to do a couple loops in there and kind of actively place it in your brain a little more rather than just it just picking up, you know, as you speed read. Because I speed reading, I, I definitely tried it and I read about it and tried it, but it just didn't work for me. It just wasn't. I don't think it was productive. And I mean, the point of reading is to retain something, not to tell people how many books you've read. Precisely. Yep. Which I think there are things like, you know, so I have a Kindle and Kindle does this thing like, oh, you've read 150 books or, you know, it tells you how many books, how many pages per day you read. And some of those metrics I think are actually pretty harmful for me. So I've turned that off because being a competitive person, what I end up looking at is those indicators of, you know, oh, how many books am I going to read this year? And I'm down to a hundred. And I found that I don't get a lot out of books if I'm just trying to finish them. <laughs> There's yeah. no point. And even re- it's like, what is the, going back to my kind of that first principles of thinking, like, why are we reading? What am, what am I, what's my goal for reading this book? Is it pure enjoyment, you know, reading about Jason Bourne or is it, you know, is it trying to get something out of it? Totally. Um, when you think about read or when you talk about reading for the sake of reading versus reading to tell people how many books you read, I, uh, I had to think of these, these applications because, um, my wife, as everybody, our, our voracious listeners know is, was pregnant. Uh, she, she gave birth last week, but, um, these baby apps, uh, these baby apps have trackers so you can, you know, okay, first of all, there's pregnancy apps and then there's like delivery infant apps and, one of the features on the pregnancy apps are kick trackers. So you can log in every time he or she kicks in the tummy and record it. And then they like give you a score. And then it's like this thing. And we were joking one time with our family talking about it. And it's like, obviously that's a tool to get more people to open the application. There's probably no, you know, because they're like, Oh, you know, you should track your baby's kicks to see if he's healthy. And it's because like, if he stops moving or whatever for an extended period of time, that's a problem. Or I, I don't know. I don't know what the hell their logic is, but it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and the same thing goes for these, um, for the next, I mean, we got feeding trackers and poop trackers and pee trackers. I mean, it's kind of crazy as far as like the level of oversight now. Uh, also, like we had a brief scare of you know some health respiratory issues which turned out to be absolutely no reason which is a whole nother conversation about my frustration with the birth and delivery experience at a traditional health system and i'm not sure if we're going to go there but um so i I actually looked into um pads that you would place under your child that monitor respiratory rates i mean they have because you know sudden infant death syndrome is something and like you know when your kid is sent to the NICU you like start thinking differently than perhaps you would otherwise and yeah you know he was a very healthy baby with no problems whatsoever but um 
the uh, you know that time made us thinking about different things. So you know, I was looking at like, well, if we take him home, do we need something to monitor his respiratory rate? You know, should we hook him up with two a respirator and all, or you know, a, a pulse oximeter or whatever? And um, the amount of technology they have, you know, the screens to have on your kids and the trackers, it just really um, there's not a lot of trust. Uh, I think this technology, you know, this emphasis on technology, it, it, it diminishes the trust that you have for one, your kid or two, your partner, or even just the world in general. And yeah, like universe and nature. Totally. And it's such a hard balance to be like, well, I want to protect my child and blah, 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 versus like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, make sure that they monitor every possible movement rollover everything yeah for what uh this is my in my day job anytime somebody asks me I, I get a lot of data requests and i'm responsible for fulfilling these data requests and one of my favorite things to do is to say well why do you want this information what are you going to do with it and if the answer is like oh well you know we just need to know it or whatever if it's not like there's a specific tangible action that you're going to do with it it's like we're not going to waste organizational resources digging up all this shit for you if you're not going to like materially change your business practice. So what's the point? And it's a hard conversation to have with a client, but um, the uh, it's the same thing with all this baby tracking stuff. Like, what are you going to do with all the poop information? You know, with all the yeah, and if it, he doesn't poop, let's just say he poops instead of eleven times, he poops eight. What do you call your doctor or what? I mean, it's just, it's hard to use all this information. It is. And here's the deal. Um, if he doesn't poop for three days, then you should be concerned. Hmm. Right? Like if he yeah. doesn't poop or pee for a long time, you know, it's pretty normal for a baby at a certain point to poop like once or twice a day. And then in the beginning, they're just kind of always pooping. It's just like constant, like whatever. And then, um, you know, now, now he, his, his pooping has become like more day, you know, he's having like big dumps. So he's pretty ornery for a while. And then he's just, saving it for longer. oh my God, he's, well, his stomach's getting bigger, right? Cause his stomach was tiny at the beginning. His stomach is small. His stomach's getting bigger. And I think he's just becoming more familiar with how to work the sphincter. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> instead of anything, just getting in there and just be blown out. Like that's the funny thing is you watch these body functions kind of develop. So now he's like able to control his bowel movements. So all of a sudden when he has one, you know, the last two that I've seen have just been monsters. Really? So he had like the hose, but now he put a, uh, you know, he puts them on the end of the hose. He's developing new muscles, shall we yeah. say. Good for, yeah, and it's a, it's interesting to hear about that. And one of the things, kind of going back to this tracker stuff is, I, you know, I've been, we've been talking about this, is this kind of helicopter parenting that's happened. A lot of these devices and things, I think, contribute to more of that mentality. And I, I forgot where I read this, but it was talking about that and the kids have a, a predisposition to be anxious and depressed with kind of more of helicopter parenting because they are not as able to deal with their own problems. 
and manage, you know, the kids aren't, aren't managing their anxiety. It's kind of, they're managing their anxiety. And it's such a tough balance around, you know, like these preventable, uh, these medical issues. So like you talked about sudden infant death syndrome. So it's like, what is really going to prevent that? What is too much? And it's just hard to toe that line of, and I think that's just the, that's just the challenge of parenting. I'm not a parent. I can, um, not yet. And we can kind of go, we'll probably go into a lot of detail on this, but it just is like that gray zone of having to make those decisions. And I think these apps and trackers and all that stuff just, I think builds a little bit more anxiety around, you know, what behaviors are you doing and are they correct and are they not? And just creates a lot of this additional energy that is more worrisome. And in our, you know, one of the things that the OB doctor said to my wife was to have a good birth relaxation is like one of the keys being relaxed. And, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of our life, the most enjoyable periods are when you're very relaxed. So it's like, how do we manage anxiety and do all this stuff? So it's, it's just a very complicated thing. So I think the challenge of kind of raising kids is all the technology that's out there. So it's just going to become more of a challenge. And speaking of that, uh, I was uh, golfing with a guy that his, so they, the big, we got on the topic of managing kids and cell phones and he has some teenage daughters and a teenage, like an older teenage son. And they, uh, overnight, uh, had a TikTok video that had 1.2 million views. And uh, it was one of the a very widely watched video. And Did he describe it or show it to you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had seen it. What was it? <laughs> um, so it was the one with the gymnast girls dancing and the brother in the background kind of like shaking his head being weird. And just it just went off because the girls were pretty good gymnasts and they're doing a routine and it just was kind of a funny, it just showed sibling behavior and kind of entertaining. And I think all these 12 year old girls all of a sudden had crushes on the older boy. So it was just kind of a weird mix of things. And the parents talked about navigating that because a, they set up some rules where you, the, you know, the daughter couldn't share the videos. And so they just talked, talked about navigating it. And it just is very complicated because you know, they were kind of like, you're kind of proud, you know, that your kid has this type of type of experience and they get the support and you're very nervous because it sounded really creepy because the, then the internet, I don't even know what to call them. Internet worms started to figure out everybody on Instagram and then was commenting and then they're following and they started following the girlfriend and were commenting on this boy's girlfriend that she wasn't pretty enough and it was just like a mess. So it was a uh, pretty interesting to think about this going viral. And we were talking about how all the young kids today, they want to be YouTubers, want to be a doctor, fireman, and now um, you want to be a TikTok star. You want to be a TikTok star. 
I don't even know where to begin about that, to be honest. It's tough. It's tough to navigate that. And I, I just think you're talking about all these devices and things like that. You know, the, there's just a lot of, a lot more risk with, you know, it's just not all benefit, you know, it's just not all good, not all preventative measures. There's always, I think going to be some pushback to making these decisions. So what so, it sounded like is they went viral and then they experienced some cyberbullying. Yep, there was some cyberbullying that came out for sure. Did they get compensated financially for this in any way? No, what the dad was definitely like he was googling how to <laughs> how to monetize a TikTok. How do video. I monetize uh, this? So he said he, you know, it didn't, you know, he said there was ways to do it but again it's it's like any type of business where you actually have to put a lot more work in it you can't just like slap a copyright on the video and you start getting royalties so it's uh you know because tiktok technically owns the content the mm-hmm. yeah yeah so, there's a uh, south park episode where the internet is just becoming like a big thing and uh the guys are like, how do you get rich? Oh, well, you have to get a bunch of views on the internet. And so they make an internet video that goes viral. And they go to this like waiting room where all of these internet meme stars are like waiting around to get paid for their content. And the whole thing is like, you're not going to get paid for your internet content. It's not yours. You're not making money off of it. And so I was curious, uh, sounds like um, this whole TikTok thing, I bet it built them a lot of social cred. You know, I'm sure they were yeah, the talk of the town hilarious. for a while. Yeah, there's a kind of a big uptick in followers. And these girls, I think they actually deleted that account that had the video on it. Uh, because there was just, you know, it just was kind of too much to handle. Wow. Yeah. I once saw a blog post about um, a web traffic, and this was back in the blogging days before video was, you know, the new viral, but uh, somebody had a blog post to go viral. And then they tracked like they sh- then they wrote a, lo- a blog post about how that impacted their website performance over time. And basically what happened was there was this massive spike in activity to their blog or to their blog when their post went viral and it occurred for a day and then it just dropped down and never, ever got back up. And it was like pretty much the same usage three months, four months after that they had started with before that they went viral. But um it was just a post showing about how they either failed to capitalize on that virality or, um, you know, the kind of challenging nature of capitalizing on it. I'm sure it's sort of a combination of both, but it seems like this TikTok video is a pretty good example of something that, uh, I mean, that it, it, it's fascinating to hear that because you're like, well, that's the point of social media, isn't it? The point yeah, of it is to make content that people love. Yeah. So they did it and then had such a bad experience that they ended up deleting the account. Mm-hmm. That's odd. Yeah, it's really odd. And it gets you to think about doing that. Well, I, I you know, kind of going on your point of what, you know, when you have a video that goes viral, uh, if you have basically no content that has value with it, so say you have like five blog posts, you have one blog post that goes 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 uh, wild, but you, there's only four other ones, 
So the traffic doesn't actually go up, but let's just say you have a hundred blog posts and you know, there's maybe 40 of them have awesome content. Well, your blog post will, your, your site will actually increase and you're going to retain some of that virality with those people and they'll start to listen. And that's, I was reading about how to keep your, your listeners and kind of contain that virality. And that's one, a good way to do it is you just have to, and it's these people that create content all the time that has value to it. This guy just yeah. made the connection to uh, the obsession with viruses and people being obsessed with viral content. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's just kind of funny. It's had thought had not occurred to me. Uh, but yeah. I always find it remarkable of how like the world show, you know, these 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 like signs exist in the world if you kind of sometimes are paying attention to these cues as far as like you know watershed moments virus virality of a post our obsession with an obsession with spreadable with spreadable content and we have suddenly released the most uh, contagious actual virus and you know recent history it's just yeah i think that's i mean that's one of the takeaways we had is i think the the spread of the media with virality is you know that's made this whole experience way worse well i want to um you had you we were kind of going down the mental health trend and i wanted to see if you had an opinion on the naomi osaka um saga at the french open Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's really fascinating. And I have a I have an opinion um that may not be uh may not be it may not be woke, but I'm willing to share it. Go for <laughs> we'll, it. We'll see. I got one too. Go so um well I asked you the question, so why don't you begin? So for me, and I think <clears throat> she has the right to make those decisions. Um, you know, the participation of things I know she needs to, I mean, the biggest thing for me is she, I think it's okay to pay the fines and just to, just to continue on, you know, like if she wants to, but she needs to pay the fines. Cause I, I'm just wondering in these contracts, if, if there is a requirement to speak to the media, there is then I think you should have to follow that contract. Um, and by participating in, I think she has the option of paying the fines and, you know, not having to participate. But I, I do think if that's written in the contract, she had there, there, if there's a ramification, then she pays it and moves on that type of thing. So I completely agree. And I think back to the old Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined, which will live in infamy. I love that. He's, he doesn't, you know, he's not, I eloquent is not the first word that comes into mind when I think of him, but he's got some, I think his, he's got kind of Yogi Berra of philosophy. And it's absolutely. You know, I it's like, completely agree. Pointed. Yeah. I love Marshawn Lynch. I think he's, uh, 
He's very, he's got tons of integrity. He is who he is. He hasn't been corrupted by his fame or his money. I mean, he's just a, a remarkable athlete overall in person. Um, but, you know, and one of the things, you know, kind of going on this whole thing is I was listening to an interview with Charles Barkley. And I think Charles is one of my favorite announcers on TV. And what he does is he gives his unabashed opinion on things. And the, the one thing he was talking about is how he got into the job. And he basically told the networks, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm going to kind of say dumb things. I'm going to talk about social issues. I'm not going to slam social issues all the time because my job is to talk about basketball. But I just was surprised at the thoughtfulness he had of getting into being an announcer and he, he said the only friends he lost was Michael Jordan <laughs> because he, he basically told, said Michael was terrible at managing a team, you know, and he just wanted yes men that worked for him. And Michael got super pissed. But Yeah, I mean, it, Mike is not going to be happy about anybody who says anything about him at all. It doesn't matter. Uh, you say one critical Hall. word about him, you're going to be the doghouse the rest of your life. Just listen to his Hall of Fame speech. You get oh, my God insight into what his mindset was on a daily basis so yeah <laughs> or you watch the last dance he still holds those grudges yep. which you, you see what drives him but i know we're getting off point on but i think the you know kind of going back to this osaka thing i i think you need to let people make their decisions and just what is the consequence of that uh so i mean that's kind of my opinion i don't know what what you think i do think the media they're just a lot of them are just kind of vultures and you hear the question line of questioning and it does, I think, go down the line of bullying, you know, in reality. And, you know, it's just, so I, I don't know. That's if she doesn't, she doesn't have to go. I do think though paying the fine is, you know, why is that such an issue? I, yeah, man. And, and so I'll pick up the Osaka story in a second, but, um, I don't know what it is about becoming a new dad, but for whatever reason, all of a sudden, I've just been like watching tons of sports because <laughs> like I have to hold the baby or whatever and, you know, console him and do something. And for whatever reason, I've been watching some NBA basketball or, you know, whatever. It and, takes uh, a good time. It is. And it's been a really fun tournament to watch. But um, the TNT announcers, Charles Barkley, Shaq, Kenny DeJet, and... I can't remember what the other guy's name is. Ernie. Uh, Ernie. They are hilarious. It is, it, in them. my opinion, the best, um, the best announcing. It's the most entertaining, like, of anything that I've ever seen. It's not like football. You got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, just all-American guys talking about the all-American sport for the all-American man. And it's just like. <laughs> yeah, but Chuck and Shaq, Shaq also unabashed opinions. He he holds back his tongue a little bit more, but not. Um, but he still is like really frank and to the point, and um, I I appreciate that. Um, and so you know, I I, I have been had a, having a lot of fun watching the TNT crew go through the uh, the the NBA finals, and they've been giving it to LeBron, rightly so, the whole Anthony Davis saga and, you know, Mr. Crybaby. It's just, it's kind of remarkable. I mean, here, welcome to 21st century, or I guess 20, yeah, 21st century basketball, well, 
2020 basketball, the the years of the snowflakes uh, in uh, in basketball form. So anyway, but yeah. back to Osaka. Um, the uh, I I agree with you. Here's the deal: you're a professional athlete. Yes, the media. There's going to be scumbags. They're gonna they're gonna have questions that you know are pointed and trying to make you stumble. They're trying to catch you in a story that they can blow up and turn you into either, either the hero or the villain. This is a, this is this, that's, this is the game that's been as old as time. Like how would you expect being a professional athlete and not having that ridicule be put upon you when you're in the public spotlight and it's part of your job. First of all, you're an entertainer. You're, you happen to be an athlete, but the reason you get paid money is you're an entertainer and to, I, if yes, if it's bad for your mental health, don't go pay the fine or don't be a tennis star. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You can't, you can't, um, you can't have all the good things of a job. No, you, know, you, you can't, have to have some negative things and mental health has become, and I'm a, such a huge advocate for mental health, but mental health has become a thing that is like, oh, I don't have to have, I don't have to take 100% responsibility because of my mental health. And that is what bothers me is because um, I want people to live happy, healthy lives 100%. And I have struggled with suicidality, depression. um, But it's also not a reason for me to say, accept less than, you know, 100% 100% accountability from me because of this thing that I have. I think it's just really an unfortunate slippery slope, like one of the many that we are on in our society today, where we're kind of teetering on this on this realm of like trying to understand what the social implications are of these things that are new. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast where the, he had this guy on the podcast who was like... Um, his whole thing was like, we need to rid ourselves of bad ideas. And he was talking about like, we as a society have a new problem, which is the best ideas are not rising to the top. So (laughs) we have a huge obligation to actually stand up for the ideas that are right. Because instead of like information, you know, passing the old way, which was talking to people, reading books, it was slower, really. So there was more filtering that occurred. Um, There, there was more, you know, discussion and dialogue. Um, So I would argue that a lot of the ideas, you know, generally over the past, you know, 2000 years or whatever, have been good in evolution. You know, people have realized slavery is bad. People have realized modern medicine, you know, can save lives. People have realized bad habits that, you know, people do or industrial farming has downstream impacts or the, you know, impact on the environment. There's tons of like thought innovation that has occurred in the last 2000 years. And, um, you know, when you start to look at some of the conversation that occurs today, uh, facilitated by the internet, um, I think it's a very prudent question to be asking ourselves. Like, um, we can't just assume that every idea that comes across the airwaves is like a good one. Well, especially like these quote new ideas or like the way that they're, they're framed up 
isn't genuinely in the best interest of the society. Uh, a lot of the, I mean, it, you have to understand where people are coming from when they generate these ideas. So I think you're right. I think it, it seems like, and I think that's one of the reasons why we got, we've been doing the podcast is there's a lot of this idea propping up of things that I don't, you know, we don't think are the best. <laughs> and it's 100% both sides of the aisle. I mean, the idea to go and storm the Capitol is just a bad idea. It's a dumb idea. Why would, what is going to be accomplished by storming the Capitol and, you know, shooting a police officer? Nothing. It's a stupid idea. And, but unfortunately, there's not a lot of like filtering occurring for certain, you know, I mean, to, to be like, oh, I'm just going to reject the idea that we have a democratic process that's survived for, you know, 230 years or whatever, or 250 years. Like, it's just, um, you know, so it's on both sides. It's it's uh, it's on all sides, really, that like these it's ideas, I think we're direction. You're right. It's, yeah. It's, like every I think everybody is at fault in this. You know, it's not just like everybody's pointing fingers at the other side and nobody's considering, you know, like, what are we doing wrong? You know, it's always, and that's not, I think, a healthy way to navigate, you know, and to really get better as a, as a society. And, you know, some people don't actually have that in mind. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this idea cause I have been reading about, marketing a little bit more in sales and what they were talking about is the different channels and they were saying you know you can advertise on linkedin you can advertise on face facebook you can advertise on twitter instagram or you can do email and what they said the beauty of email and i'm just i, I there's an interesting point for me is i think email is basically unfiltered you're not at the whim of the algorithm and so you have more control over do people open your, you know, it gets in their inbox for the most part. Do you have, you know, do you have more, you have a little bit more control versus that. And I think that's the difficult thing we're struggling with right now is the, the power that some of these institutions are starting to have on the thought, you know, the, the thought process. And I was just reading about how, Facebook is kicking Trump off for two, two years now. And it's like, they, they have kind of an amazing amount of power and control over the narrative. And that's, that's just difficult. It's really difficult. It is. Uh, I believe there was also a new law that I don't know if it was imposed in California or where it was, but somewhere where they said that, uh, um, pol politicians couldn't be kicked off social platforms before like blanket rate, you know, for un. I think that was in Florida and they passed that law, uh, in response to the kind of Trump thing. And yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of proposals from government on reducing the freedom of speech. Cause there's a really delicate line between like, what is cyberbullying? And then somebody kind of gave the facts of like, well, what happens when the New York times spouts fake facts about, you know, the Wuhan lab? you know, and all that stuff. It's like, it's such a tough, <laughs> you have to police everything. That's a really complicated spot to be in. Well, especially when the entity that's supposed to be doing the policing 
which is the press. I mean, the press is supposed to be the accountable, you know, information component is just has not been that as of recent, you know, I mean, just the cycle of needing to break stories and get the most clicks and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't want to lament on the, you know, the challenges of our, of our, you know, new internet bound society, but it's just a, it's a, it's interesting. You know, you talk about like the purpose of this TikTok video to, to get virality and then, you know, the deletion of the account because it's more than you bargained for. Um, I, I think it just, it brings into question a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, why do we do what we do? Um, yeah, the purpose behind this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because we're, you know, spending so much time consuming, you know, content on these sites too. And, you know, is that driving, you know, it's like going back to like, why are we doing all this stuff? And, you know, a lot of, a lot of times we don't have a good reason for, you know, I, I, don't, I, you know, wind up in the middle of the day being like, why in the heck am I doing this stuff? You know, it's like, what, what's the purpose of this? And I really have to circle back to it. And then, you know, this, I think I've benefited a lot from the skill of mindfulness because I've been able to identify that earlier on or before I think it would take me a lot longer to kind of be running around. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the skills that has helped me manage some of these complicated things. I know we've been kind of complaining, you know, not complaining, but just showing the negative side of this. But I think when you can become more aware of what you're consuming, what you're doing, then you have more, more choice, more agency to, to pick out like, Oh, this is what I want to be paying attention to. This is what I don't want to be paying attention to. This is a dumb article. I'm going to move on. You know, (laughs) we all have that choice uh, to, to make our own decisions, which I think is, we're very lucky to be in America to have that. We're really, we are very lucky to be in a country that we have the ability to make those decisions. Cause the more you kind of read about some of these other areas that are shutting off access to information and there's a little bit more control, I, I, we're lucky we're in a society right now that we can struggle with these problems. <laughs> we, we can figure them out. Completely agree. Uh, to have to be having the discussion about the importance of free speech and censorship is terrific because you've got Russia and China over there where it's just not the case. Uh, I don't remember where I heard the information. It might have been on the Josh Rogan version of the Joe Rogan podcast where he was talking about like Chinese party aligned business people just randomly always fall from you know forty foot apartment buildings and it's like it's not random like the amount of so I don't know, you know, we are very fortunate to be, uh, to be in this state and, and, um, you know, have the ability to, uh, to at least have an opinion or at least have the dialogue, but, uh, yeah, the struggle, you know, cause I think we have the ability to, to fight for what we think is right and present a case. And then hopefully, like we talked about the best idea will win. And I think as we're talking about this stuff we're just trying to figure out how do we do that more efficiently and well and i've always thought the strategy for getting around like the uh you know obviously there's tons of talk about china becoming the next world superpower whatever 
I've always thought that America's long-term strategy should just be like freedom and innovation central. Like, you know, we should be like, Hey, if you're a smart person with a crazy idea and you want to get creative and think of it and test it and try and do it, like come to this place. I think we should have a very liberal immigration policy to be, to allow for, you know, that type of like, intellectual drain you know i mean if you've got all this oppression around the rest of the world like hey why not try and use some of the freedoms of this place and the open you know you know the the pseudo capitalistic market that we have here to really attract that top world talent and say like you know obviously you know go to denmark if you really want to make the american dream happen on a individual level but if you're like one of those crazy elon musk type person who or you're if you're the steve jobs if you're the 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 jeff bezos you know i want people to you know be building those companies in the united states because of the whatever climate we can create. And I think like the way that the United States stays relevant on the larger scale is to continue to innovate on that climate. And I'm, um, my hesitate, you know, I, I'm sensing that, you know, we have some bad ideas in the, in the punch bowl that I'd like to, you know, that I think we all could do a prudent job of like, or excuse me, we could do a better job of being more prudent around like what, what, which ones we start drinking up. Yeah, you, you, and everybody has the ability to think for themselves and make their decision instead of relying on, because I, I really think we all have the ability to know this is a good idea, this is a bad idea. And the moment we start getting controlled by somebody else and just kind of following along, that's when these ideas get, get more power that are bad. <laughs> so, because I, I do think everybody has the ability to have some intuition, you know, at every, doesn't matter your education level, you know, we, uh, I've been driving to some small towns and having some discussions with these leaders who they're running what you would consider a small business, but they're very skilled at running a business. So it's not like they're dumber than somebody that's at some huge company that, you know, has 20 direct reports, but doesn't understand that, you know, to run a business, you have to make cash. You know, it's like there, there's just certain, I think we assume people that are different than us are sometimes stupid. <laughs> so yeah. I think we need to, you know, I've been having some pretty interesting meetings with these people that I'm growing to appreciate the, you know, the difference in opinion and they're different than me. And it's been very nice. Small business America. Forward. I know it's just America. That's this is like the American podcast of the day. Yeah, <laughs> stars and stripes, baby. I think we're I just getting ready for July Fourth. Onesie on and walk around the neighborhood. Yeah, I'm gonna go get in my five. Ford pickup truck. Yep, gotta get in the Ford and go high five everybody. <laughs> go drink a Budweiser and uh, have Bud some. Class. Yeah, have a uh, ballpark frank in the afternoon here. Yeah, I want to go to a ball game this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> my lawn chair get absolutely go, obliterated and make a fool of myself <laughs> just gonna go watch speedball because i like sports yeah oh god so that's so funny whatever that's a way to blow off steam for some people so more power yeah, to them uh, there's uh there's different ways of dealing with anxiety and 
you know, one of the, I was reading, I'm reading this really good book on anxiety and he said, you know, the American way of dealing with anxiety is to work. You know, that's the most accepted way of dealing with your anxiety is when something doesn't feel right, people work. Some people will take a nap, you know, it, there's different ways of dealing with anxiety. Yep. And, you, I mean, the French don't work or they protest or they have a cigarette, you know, yeah. The, the Germans drink a beer and then go back to work. <laughs> yeah, everybody has their own way of dealing ja with The Japanese get absolutely obliterated and then go to yeah. some weird video game or sex show thing. Or they, you know, they go and sing karaoke. Oh, yeah, that's really fun, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. that's very fun. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked about that on a different podcast is bringing the Japanese karaoke to the U.S. Was that... Uh was that on a podcast or is that just a regular conversation? <laughs> I don't remember, but um, it's a great idea. The whole room based karaoke, yep. Uh, yep. you know. Yeah, because I think, you know, we have the performance karaoke here in the US where everybody gets to listen to you. And if you're good, it's great. If you're bad, it's going to be have kind of be a shitty two, three minutes. Uh, but the, the room version is good because everybody can participate. Well, you get to go up there and sing three, four, maybe five songs, which is a lot more fun than singing one song, everything being riding on it, and then being done the rest of the evening. I mean, that's not very fun. Not, I mean, not not in my mind. Maybe other people enjoy it, but uh, that's not my my idea. So no, but clearly, entrepreneurs out there that are thinking of a way to change the karaoke scene like Will Ferrell did in uh, the movie Step Brothers. I think the market's hot right now. People are getting back to work. You know, they're getting back to doing things, which I do think this summer, I think it's going to be one of the more, uh, one of the best summers for buying, like for, for business. I just am feeling that people are shopping, buying stuff. I'm doing that a lot more. I just think there's going to be a lot more movement. Yeah. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit about hot girl and hot boy summer uh, or white boy summer. So um, I know a lot of people are, are, you know, the other phrase that I hear uh, is waxed and vaxed, which uh, is terrifying, but. Uh... <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even hear that one. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a big one amongst single women. Uh, I'm waxed and vaxed and ready to be smacked. <laughs> I suppose. Wow. <laughs> well, maybe uh, that's just really good marketing by the government to get people to vaccine vaccinate. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could be like Ohio and you know do a lottery to for one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy that works. It works. Hey. And it then works. Yeah, they're trying everything. I give them credit. You know, yeah. they're they're trying to figure out how to move the needle on that that goal, which you know Well they're moving more needles with that one. Uh yeah. and not just the uh and not just the opium needles or the, <laughs> the heroin yeah, needles. Yeah, not the old needles that they that uh, yeah. these, these are the, uh, these are the pharmaceutical grade needles. Yeah. The yeah. ones that are, yeah, this is, 
Yeah, it's a you know the the I'm sensing just a positive vibe from from summer being here, and it's nice to get back with people and give everybody hugs again, and it just after a year in the a, a tough year. I think America, like we talked about for half the podcast, is doing good. And Well, know, then let's put some uh, forecasts on the table for what July 4th is going to be like. Because July 4th then is going to be a big oh, it's gonna be a big deal. First of all... Lots more fireworks than you've ever seen in your entire life. That's I think it's going to be a big year for fireworks. I think you nailed yeah. it there. I think fireworks will be big. I think uh, everybody's going to be buying them. And... I think there's going to be more forest fires. Yeah, big year for fires. <laughs> well, I didn't see that California is supposed to have more fires because of the heat and there's not. Oh, much. you're not going to believe this. Hmm. July 4th is on Saturday, Sunday. Ooh. So July 3rd is a Saturday, which is actually the best. For our purposes, given that the majority yeah. of our celebrations kick off on the third, uh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be exciting. So uh, the water balloon fight's going to be back on. Yeah, and since uh, the market isn't was in short supply last year, I I was very concerned about the supply chain uh, for water balloons, given our you know recent rounds of Chinese tariffs. So. I went ahead and put in a pre-order of uh, five thousand five hundred and fifty. So uh, we've got we we at least have the first battery. So assembly. I got I did the exact same thing that you did. I I can see why we're related. Excellent. So that should put us at about eleven hundred. So that should give us the second battery. So yeah, uh, wave one and wave two. So our yeah. little cousins need to watch out. Yes, uh, this is a message calling our cousins calling calling out cousins uh we're i guess we're forecasting our artillery strength here which is uh pretty yeah. uh for the listeners out there we have a water balloon fight on the third it's the fourth the fourth uh and it gets uh they have a parade around the lake and there's a lot of water balloons and it's very fun however we have uh had some ups and downs um when you have a lot of Adult males that really like to throw balls. <laughs> a couple cameras got broken. A couple face baby shots. So we've had to dial it, dial it down to a manageable level. So we really try to pick on the own family now instead of just innocent bystanders and votes. Yeah, we we've uh, stopped cold blooded water balloon assaults. We now we now <laughs> wait to be thrown against, and then if you decide to attack we unleash a defense of reckless proportion. But, yeah, people uh, <laughs> are walking around in there. What's, is it the Peace Corps? What's the, what's the, who, the UN? The UN. So we've stopped attacking UN employees. Um, that the peacemakers, yes, peacekeepers. Uh, we, we only attack the aggressors. Uh, we have a right to defend ourselves. This is America, after all. And it is Wisconsin, so, you know. <laughs> <you're>... <laughs> yep. Self-defense goes a long way. Not quite as far as Texas, where you can yeah, legally but... shoot somebody on your property, regardless of the situation. Yep, this is not, this is, and this isn't a, conce this is not a conceal and carry. This is a, it must be out in the open. 
yeah, water balloon launchers. We are no in no way condoning uh, uh, aggress yeah that activity, but uh, so it's it's a water balloon fight of epic proportions, and it's a lot of fun. It's one of the days where I feel like, uh, despite you know me being a thirty year old man, I can spend you know four or five hours just being an absolute child and uh, and play. It's just one of the days where I feel like is the most playful day of the entire year. Yep, and it actually requires some work. I mean, we need to get up early and start making those water balloons. And by the time you're throwing them, you can't feel your fingers because you have been making ice cold water balloons, tying them. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it, like you said, it's an awesome day. Ton is very fun with the family, and it's a chance for a couple mid thirties guys to be twelve year old boys again. Yep. Yeah. So the- turn that down. That's the forecast for our 4th of July. Uh, I, I don't know any, I can't think of any uh, cultural forecasts. I, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of beer drank. There's going to be a lot of fireworks. You know what we'll probably actually see? We're probably going to see a lot of boating incidents. This is going to be a dangerous year to be on the water, folks. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of people buying boats. So there's going to be a lot of new boat drivers, which that's usually not very good. Um because we've all driven with a first year boat driver and the concentration level and the awareness is just not quite where it needs to be, especially on a holiday like the fourth where you got the two burgers flying around. So I think you're right. Boating incidents, um, because you know what, all the information we have is that it's hard to buy a boat right now. So I think that's a pretty good, pretty good prediction. Very good prediction. Yeah, more uh, water incidences. I I think the ERs are going to be busy. I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, you know, if the ERs are too busy, they might need to stop boating for a couple weeks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A moratorium on on boating. They're filling up. The ERs are becoming too full, so we need to stop boating. That would be grounds for insurrection, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's pushing it just one one notch too far yeah. i think especially in a state like wisconsin there would be a little bit of feedback oh man it. how about missouri holy cow yeah you know you got lake of the oaks ozarks down there it gets wild down there Jeez, does it is. i don't know much about that place uh i just have heard i mean i can imagine just based on the, some of the people that i've met from there i've worked a lot in kansas uh which was very fun but uh, yeah, I, I haven't. I don't know much about that place. Seems well, I would say it's Lake Minnetonka times you know fifty to seventy five percent. Wow. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know, Lake Minnetonka is a phenomena of uh, epic proportions on the July Fourth holiday, where there's a they call it Big Island, um, and it's basically they line up two boats. I'm sure down in Miami, they have some similarly massive boat parties, but one of my favorite takeaway messages from that event is that about 30 to 45 people every year get, um, E. Coli. E. Coli, because there's so much poop and pee in the water. (laughs) Which comes from human poop in the water and it being, being consumed uh, and you can use your imagination on what happens there. So yeah, every so, single year there's a report after the fourth that 30 to 45 residents reported having E. coli. 
But what's, I mean, the, and we've both done that event where what happens is there's two rows of boats, you know, kind of facing each other. And then there's like an alley in the middle where everybody locks up and down. And it's very social. It's very fun. And uh, you're very prone to getting E. coli. And yeah. Did. So we uh, we can we can joke about it now, but it was a very we, we participated in it for a couple. I don't think I've ever gone before. to the uh, the fourth celebration, but I've certainly been to Big Island and uh, am familiar with the scaled back weekend version of it, which is is pretty nuts. But uh, the fourth is another another beast altogether. So. Be safe out there if you're boating on the fourth, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.